Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about refactoring. We'll get into what is refactoring. A good, we'll have a definition for it. How you can get buy-in from the job you're currently working in to be able to refactor. And we'll share our horror stories about refactoring in general. Yeah. How does refactoring make you feel? I like it. I enjoy refactoring when I know the code that I'm working in is to move the code base forward. If I know I'm doing that in a refactor, then yes. And that's yeah, what refactor is supposed feels, to do. It feels good like being a good scout, like cleaning up and making think, things tidy. I think it depends on the type of refactoring you're doing. Like if you're adding test coverage to someone else's untested code, that sucks. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. That's not the refactoring I was talking about. Yeah. But then once you have the test coverage... Then when you go to clean it up, that's amazing. Yeah, it's red green. I mean, we've talked about this so many times on the show in part, but we've never had a full episode on refactoring. What was it, like eight different episodes that we found that uh, we we mentioned refactoring? That I can remember. Yeah, Yeah. it's like TDD, there's like planning, all sorts of different places where we have refactoring mentioned. Yeah, red green refactoring TDD, had a plan to do refactoring and tech debt and test coverage and yeah. legacy code and all sorts of stuff. It all comes back to it. Just the simple act of refactoring, which I guess we haven't defined yet. Did you want to give a stab at it, William? Uh, to me, refactoring is changing the way code operates without changing what code does. Usually it's done in order to make the code more maintainable or more readable, although also it could be done to make it more performant. Is that Martin Fowler we're, sleeping, we're talking to right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Martin Fowler is. I hope that it no, is. No, no, it's, exa- it's very similar to what you just said. I think the definition that I just Googled is refactoring is the process of changing a software system in such a way that it does not alter the external behavior of the code, yet improves its internal structure. Dude, you're like Martin Fowler. Is that from the <laughs> definitive refactoring book? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, the definitive refactoring book. The definitive refactoring book. It's just called refactoring. Yeah. That's all. It's a pretty amazing <laughs> read. I would suggest any and everyone to, to take a stab at it. The definitive refactorer's guide to software development. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the guide to not writing features. Just moving code around. So we could talk about refactoring in theory and then how it actually plays out. <laughs> My thing, Dave, you mentioned earlier, red-green refactors, in theory, the way you want to refactor right. your code base. Just like being able to write a test, it fails, you make a pass, you figure out ways to make it more efficient. Right. But I guess like if, if you just have a static code base that you're, you're approaching to do a refactor, then I guess you're not going to have the red part because you're not writing a feature in a TDD fashion. It's just going to be green. And right. then you're going to write the code and it's still going to be green. So it's a little more boring, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you are perfect, <laughs> if, you, if you never write anything wrong. Exactly. I don't know. I, in, I, no, just me. <laughs> <laughs> just you, Dave. Just you, Dave. Just you. <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you do the red green refactor, that is in theory the way you would want a refactor. Yeah. When I refactor, it usually goes red and then stays red for a while and then it goes green very briefly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got to refactor it and make yeah. it less lines of code, make it more readable. Eventually it gets back to green. Got to yeah. keep it green. 
Yeah, it's it's it can be easy to get lost in the weeds sometimes too, especially if you're like taking off a big bite yeah, of a refactor. Like if if you if you got like a hundred line method and you're like, all right, one shot, let's do this. Ooh, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, I'm definitely doing it wrong. You're supposed to stay green as long as possible. It should be <laughs> in the red for the shortest period of time possible. Yeah, I like to use watch with uh, with jest or really any testing framework has some helper library or function that'll let you run the test automatically when you make a change to a file. I think that's really super helpful when doing refactoring because then you can make the silliest level of change and then just keep on tapping over to your tests and be like, okay, okay, I'm good still. There was a plugin, I don't know if it's still being maintained, called Growl that I used back, I don't know, several years ago that would create a like a macOS pop-up that would let you know when your tests were red or green. I remember that so being a thing. So you didn't have yeah. to tab. Mm-hmm. Oh, would it let you know when it changed or? I think every time, time you save the file. Okay. Actually, I found out that there is such a feature in Jest the other day. If you just pass the flags dash dash notify, then it will send a uh, native OSX notification to you oh, when baller. it finishes running it. So if you have watch with notify, then it's just going to be popping up every time you save the file, which is pretty cool, actually. Oh, that is awesome. But then you have a little bubble, like, just there. Which, all the time. Yeah. Telling time. you you're a failure. All the time. Dave, you are failing. You are failing right now. Dave never you are right. still no. failing. Dave is perfect. That never yeah. happens. So well, I, I feel like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Humility. <laughs> Core value. Yeah. The, um, in theory... Red green refactor is a possibility, but reality is there are often times where you deliver some feature and knowing that you may have to pay some tech debt down in the future to do some refactoring later, like when other features will touch the file you're currently implementing. So in, in, in reality, you may need to write tickets for these features. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely nice when you can do a refactor as you're going. You know, sometimes, like you mentioned, the reality of it is that sometimes you need to take a moment and evaluate where the most benefit is to make those changes. And sometimes writing a story and prioritizing it against other things that are more valuable pieces of work or more like feature driven pieces of work that you could be working on instead. Yeah. So, I mean, try to do it as much as possible. You want to refactor as much as possible. If you have to, you know, move it so it it's later down in the road, you can cr- create a ticket and have your team prioritize where it belongs and then continue to work on that refactor later. Yeah. And if you want to hear more about it, you can listen to episode number 19. Ooh. Tech Ted. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were having a conversation before in life about getting buy-in, right? Like refactoring is cool as developers because we want to make sure that our codes are perfect all the time. Dave writes code perfectly all the time, so this may not apply to him. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'd love to hear more about this. <laughs> uh, so what's, what's your favorite code smell to factor away? I am personally not a fan of 
ifs and nested oh my god i was gonna say the same thing yeah sorry sorry bro smoke first (laughs) (laughs) smoke first i saw this actually in a code base that i was working on where there were just if and then else if and then else if and I, i i had mentioned okay i need to we need to figure out a way to you know early return this function so that we don't have any of these ifs all the way down the road. Oh, yes. Yes. This is a uh, chapter nine, simplifying conditional expressions. Oh, uh, oh. section 37, <laughs> replacing nested conditional with guard clauses from the, the holy refactoring book. Oh, man. This, yeah. Great. I no, can't no. believe you did that from memory, Dave. No wonder you write code perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's definitely one of the one of my favorite cosmos to get rid of. Just like, I don't know, too many if statements is weird. Yeah, too many ifs. Null checking. That's another really satisfying one to get rid of. Mm-hmm. What is that? What do you mean by that? Like just to check that like the thing is not null? Whenever in the code someone is checking to see if something is null, that's always a that's always an interesting challenge to figure out how to make it so that they don't need to do that. Like guarding at the edges of your application rather than allowing the null values to permeate the code base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's that's always an argument I hear for having more type checking with something like Flow. Oh, yeah, that's uh, those we'll null sa- values. We'll, we'll save that for the teach and learn. <laughs> save that for the teach and learn aspect. Okay. For for me personally, like I get a lot of satisfaction from decomposing long methods into mm. like smaller things. Oh yeah, me too. That's a really like good and just finding really nice names for all the things. So then it's like, oh it's so nice and documented. Naming stuff. Oh my God. Get rid of your comments. Get out of your comments. I got a method. <laughs> Get out of here, comments. I I will straight up hit a thesaurus looking for a, the perfect method name. Is there a pro- programmer's thesaurus? There should be. <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah. I need to I need to write that ebook because <laughs> I'm horrible. Well, maybe I can't because I'm horrible with naming functions and variables. I'm just like real. I love pairing because I hope that my pair can name things better than I can. Just just oh. But uh, I leave it up to you guys to do the refactoring of naming and functions and stuff. <laughs> Having a pair when you're trying to come up with method names is actually great because yeah. they can be a sense check and be like. No, that, that, no. <laughs> Mike, so what that's, are you doing? <laughs> you think that makes sense, but that's, that's just you. Yeah. And sometimes there's just not really a good name. Like everything, everything becomes a service or a controller or <laughs> something else. Oh, but man. yeah, you can feel validated to come up with it with a, with a friend. Yeah. Turn it into a microservice. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a refactor in itself. Turning your monolith into a microservice. <laughs> it's massive one probably oh, a whole topic yeah. in itself what was that red red green refactor into a microservice <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the next, that's part two of this sooner or later we'll make that one going all the way yeah yeah so how do you how do you kind of like work past i think often like the first instinct is if it's working just don't change it right that's that's often the first feedback that you get when it's like oh well this this piece of code is kind of kind of gross and if we refactored it it would be better to work with yeah i mean that's kind of why you want to refactor it so you can take that grossness and make it nicer so that other people can then want to work on it i don't know how do you get yourself in the mindset like how do you change your perspective from oh i just got it working to oh i need to get it working better yeah yeah i mean i guess like one 
one way or one way to think about it is that like it's really easy to just keep on extending on patterns that are already there in the code base like i i find myself like just repeating things like when i'm you know in the the red state i'm trying to get to green like i'm just going to repeat the patterns that are already there mm, copy uh, pasta strikes again yeah Ooh. you know just doing what feels comfortable and like not trying to rock the boat too much until i get to the feature complete state but then like if you never take the time to actually go back and clean it up then and once you hit feature complete then you really want to stop (laughs) (laughs) right yeah that's that's when it's time for a beer oh yeah (laughs) even if it's 10 30 in the morning i think that (laughs) i think pairs are particularly helpful for this because your pair can have that critical thinking hat on and be looking for ways to improve the code while you're still writing it and then yeah. they have a direction to take it as soon as you're done with the method. <laughs> right. They're like biting their tongue while you're writing code the whole oh time. My God, like, it's so gross. What are you doing? I can't believe this guy's doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop him. Yeah. <laughs> Episode four, pair programming. It's like live tweeting. <laughs> assholes putting bars everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Haven't you ever heard of a cons? Yeah, what are you doing? Just write, I have a ton of index cards. I just write cons, 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 cons. <laughs> and then just make it rain <laughs> <laughs> all the cons cool so you want to refactor that's a thing that you want to do it's a thing that maybe a couple of individuals on your team want to do but then but then reality strikes yep again again <laughs> and you have you have business requirements that require people to push out features and a strict deadline and there's no time. I'm sure every single individual listening right now has heard there is no time. We need to get this out now. I mean, that 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 sends shivers down my spine because it's it's post-traumatic stress disorder, what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> right. It's it's like reading uh, the Phoenix Project. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's too real. So you want to get buy-in from from your from your team. What are some ways in reality we can do? to get buy-in for a factor. I think one thing you can do is just do it. Just refactor while you're writing your code. Do red, green refactor. Don't ask for permission. You are a professional and it is your job to do software development well. And that's how you do it well. And you don't need permission from anybody to do that. Yeah. And I think also like when when I've gone like and been like, okay, I need to refactor something in order to do my job well. It's often been like, driving towards like some business value. Like I need to work on this feature on this page, but it's very difficult to reason about what this code is doing. So I might just take a moment and refactor it and try and imagine how it might work better or like be, be easier to think about. Make the change easy, then make the easy change. If there's a feature you have to implement and you have to touch a terrible section of the code base, clean that section up and then go to add the feature and it'll be much, much easier. And if anybody questions you, you can say, hey, I needed to do it in order to ship this feature, which is true. Mm -hmm. Anybody have any more devilish tactics that they've used? Yeah. So I've definitely been in a place where like I've seen that there might be a problem that could happen, but like we're, we're just pushing ahead and, you know, you try to bring it up and people are like, oh, well, we don't really have time right now. And then, you know, you could push through and like go rogue and refactor or address the technical debt on your own time, like put in extra hours, but that leads to burnout. Yeah. 
And so like sometimes it might be fine just to like let the situation come to a head and like, you know, just see it coming and just be like, okay, I accept that this building's going to crumble down on top of me. Right. You see the train (laughs) coming, you look at it, arms wide open. I accept my fate, crash and burn. Sometimes business needs to lose some money. That's, you know, how you get people's attention. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like one way that translates to efficiency very well. Like there's a, there's a cost value to the refactor that was necessary and you'd be like, oh, you see, we lost monies because we could have, you know, made that particular feature more efficient. Obviously, yeah. you should go to people and tell them when there is going to be a problem. And you know that there's going to be a problem, but there will come a day when people will ignore you. And then the site will go down and they will lose a bunch of money. And as soon as that happens, you have an amazing opportunity to go in and put a dollar value on refactoring and say, finally, I can compare this to that feature that you want that you think is going to make us more money. Right. Here's yeah. how we make sure that never happens again. Okay. We want three sprints. Yeah, that that is a really powerful tool and i think we've talked about this like in in the tech day episode too like where it's like yes there is a monetary cost to this this crummy code that we have to deal with like it's it slows us down and you're paying us hourly you know when there's an outage there's a very direct cost but you know when when more people are feeling the pain then you know that's that's when you'll get more action awesome so we now just spoke about how we can actually add dollar cost value to refactoring, which is really, really great. Let's go around and share some some refactoring stories that we have, or as we call the earlier, refactoring gone wild. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've definitely gotten a little bit too deep into a refactor to the point where it's touched half the files in the code base and I realize that there's no way I will ever merge it back in and I have to throw it away and start over. Yeah, I I've been in that place too. But I, at the same time, like if you're okay with letting go and just taking it as a lesson, then I feel like you learn a lot about code base by doing that. Like I I paired with someone recently on like reorganizing like a folder structure for our JavaScript application, and they were pretty new on the project. And I feel like by the time we had moved all of the files around and our PR had touched like, you know, 50 files or, you know, however many different things, like you really had a good handle about like where everything was. Have you ever introduced a bug while refactoring? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially if there's like not perfect test coverage or like those kind of like edges around the application that you're not really testing through units. Yeah, like links between pages or something like that, like moving files around. That's that's a good example of like how something might break when you're refactoring. I would make the suggestion that if the event you introduce a bug while refactoring, definitely write a test to catch that bug and then fix it so that that doesn't happen again if the event someone else refactors that piece of code. Good advice. When, when does refactoring go well? I guess it's the question. When you have good test coverage. Absolutely. I think like you just go and rip things apart, make changes. Did it break anything? Did it break anything? I don't even need to think about it. I just run the suite and we're done. Yep. Yeah. Although even even then there may be that one thing that breaks that you just need to like Maybe test for or like fix forward. Maybe open the browser. 
Just, Maybe. just to be certain. <laughs> <laughs> right. The browser should be open. Have you ever had any positive experiences with refactoring, improving performance? Yeah, definitely. Actually, that, that, that can be kind of a satisfying thing to do as well. If you have if you have the test coverage like we were talking about earlier and you have the tooling in place, which if you're if you're running for the front end is super easy. I could talk like quite a bit about Chrome DevTools, but it's more expensive. It's more interesting if you can actually see them in action, right. like in a blog post form or something. But there's there's some really cool stuff that you can uh, see where the bottlenecks are and kind of get back to basic algorithm questions and try and make some performance and get rid of uh, n plus one things and loops and whatever other crazy things n plus one queries man they're everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too (laughs) i think the uh one satisfying refactoring i've done uh recently was working with lodash i didn't know that using lodash dot like the chain function in lodash imports all of Lodash because chain allows you to use any Lodash function. So I thought it would just allow when you run chain, you can call the things you want and then continue to change on them. But since Lodash doesn't know what you're going to chain, it'll just import all of it. So having a refactor chain to just using the specific Lodash functions that I want and then just importing those things means that it doesn't import all the other ones, which is pretty cool for your build. Oh, so like nice. even that was like, oh, snap. Don't use chain. Like if I'm not going to import all of it, just use the specific ones that I want. And then that was like amazing. And that was something that you can't really test with coverage and tooling, as you mentioned. But like you notice your build file actually gets much more reduced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I guess also there's like pretty cool like plugins. Like I I know you use VS Code and someone I was pairing with is also a big VS code fan. And I think I, I'm probably gonna be pushed over the edge and start <laughs> using it soon. But I, I saw that he had a, a plugin for like seeing what the size of the import was in the JavaScript bundle. And that, that's pretty, pretty dope. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's like, Oh, I imported that thing. And it's like 50 KB. What am I thinking? Yeah, no. <laughs> 50 KB is a lot. Like, up. I mean, if you're going to use like one function out of it. Yeah. Left pad. <laughs> That's all I needed. Yeah. Just go into the library, copy and paste the one function you need, and you're done. Boom. You never have to worry about it upgrading <laughs> underneath you. NPM copy paste. <laughs> awesome. Does anyone have any teacher learns? I have one in mind. We gave a little sneak peek earlier, but uh, I was talking about JavaScript flow. I was talking about JavaScript flow, which is really new to me. I didn't know that you can purposely type JavaScript. Or even accidentally type JavaScript. (laughs) On purpose or by accident, you can write JavaScript (laughs) statically typed. And the syntax is very strange to me. I'm still learning why anyone would do that. But it's really, really cool to see you writing, you know, pieces of JavaScript code that's statically typed and then having the flow, I guess it's like the flow panel, like you could run flow as a command in your, in your code base. And it'll tell you all the, like the statically typed errors you normally would expect from like Java or something, which is Mm -hmm. like really cool. Yeah. So you can have like another assurance at at build time that you didn't mess anything up. Yeah. I think a way to avoid doing that especially with using react is like you know making sure that you have strict prop types but javascript flow is pretty cool 
I'm, I'm getting around to the syntax. I think that's like the most difficult part, but I kind of miss Java, believe it or not, where I'm actually enjoying the statically typedness of JavaScript. I just got to get used to it. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting how there are so many different statically type things that are coming in, in vogue right now. Like Python has MyPy and oh, there's, there's flow for JavaScript. And I think Ruby has something like Maps. Math that, is that for Ruby? Like for typing? It's Crystal or Opal or some other some other some gems other gem. I, don't know. Some I, other I was reading that Matt's wants like static typing in Ruby Ruby 3.0. Oh man. Like in the core. Which I mean, yeah. Everybody's doing it. All the cool kids. All the cool kids statically typing. Statically typing away. Cool. That calls for the end of the episode. I'd like to thank our co-host, Dave. Thanks for coming on down. Yeah, thanks, man. And our producer, William, always a pleasure. Happy to do it. I'm Michael Nunez. Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com slash Radio Free Rabbit. And if you haven't, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. This is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time. <laughs>